teacher falls can help bring about meaningful change in the world. If you're looking for a path where your passion and interest in shaping the future will be empowered and encouraged, consider earning a degree in international affairs and diplomacy from Satan Hall University. Join a live webinar to find out how our customizable graduate programs can help you achieve your professional goals. Visit us today at shu.edu slash diplomacy23. On today's episode of Unscripted, we speak to jazz saxophonist and Switzerland's permanent representative to the United Nations, Ambassador Pascal Beriswell, as she takes charge of the Security Council this month. As always, I am Damilola Banjo. Hello, I am Kelechuku Ogu. It is Switzerland's first time chairing the council. The country has maintained a historic impartiality to conflict, choosing to support no one during the Second World War that reshaped the world order. Against this backdrop, we discussed with Ambassador Beriswell about Swiss neutrality, its support for EU sanctions on Russia, and we asked her to give hindsight judgment on the unbridled conflict between the two warring actors in Sudan, Abdul Fattah Al-Burhan and Hamden Dagalu. Well, before we get into diplomacy and everything UN, let's take a quick detour. Let's talk jazz. The genre might have started in New Orleans, but today, New York City is defined as the jazz capital of the world. How does it feel to have a jazz saxophonist from Switzerland across the Atlantic to work and to wind down at a jazz club? Just looking, watching over the East River, um, I feel extremely privileged that uh, I can work here and that I can live in the city. And being a passionate jazz saxophone player, um, New York is, of course, not the worst place in the world to be and to listen to the most wonderful artists, um, which are all here in that um, crazy city. So I am very lucky and privileged to be here with my team and to work at the United Nations. Into the Security Council we go. Switzerland has planned three main events for the month. It starts with an open debate on future-proofing trust and two commemorative events around the protection of Civilians Week, as well as the 75th anniversary of the UN sending out peacekeepers to troubled countries. So we will have, I would say, three um, signature or important events. 
The first one on the 3rd of May is a debate which is called Future Proving Trust. So it will really be a focus, a strong focus on trust. We will hear the High Commissioner for Human Rights for the first time, Volker Turk. He will speak about, of course, norms. We will have an African Union Youth Ambassador who will be speaking about the aspect of inclusion. And then we will have a professor of King's College speaking about um, modern technologies and how um, those technologies can contribute to build trust. So that will be our first signature event. We will um, prepare a report. We will hand it over not only to the Secretary General, but also uh, to the Peace Building Commission, uh, which will have a retreat in July, and also to the President of the General Assembly, who is currently have holding a, a series of discussions also around trust. Then we will have on the 23rd of May a presidential debate. This is the Protection of Civilians Week. Our president will brief the council and, of course, the secretary general and also the president of the International Committee of the Red Cross. We will we expect a high level attendance, in particular from our African colleagues. We will uh, focus and frame this debate around food insecurity, but also essential services. And then last but not least, we will celebrate or commemorate on the 25th of May, uh, the 75th anniversary of uh, peacekeeping and peace missions, UN peace missions. And um, then our Minister for Defence will be here. Uh, we will participate in some of the ceremonial events of the Secretary General and of the head of DPTO, USG Lacroix. Um, we will also have the head, the force commander of the oldest um, mission, uh, General Patrick uh, Gauchat, here because he is a Swiss. And then we will host a debate uh, chaired by our Minister of Defense on financing of African uh, peace missions. So that's our three highlights where we will also have a minister or a president coming from capital. UN peacekeepers have been quite active in Sudan since 2005, ending its peacekeeping program in 2020, less than a year before Amdam Dagolo, leader of the Rapid Support Force, and Abdul Fattah Al-Bohan upstaged the international community-backed transitional government in 2021. Reports say there was little appetite to sanction both men who were aired and vice in the government. We tried to ask Ambassador Beriswell if ignoring the 2021 coup may have set the stage for the fight which broke out in Khartoum, the Sudanese capital, on April 15th. Um, it's very difficult to judge, but what um, I think is something which is common to all conflicts again and again um, if perpetrators in a conflict situation are not made accountable for what they have been doing in the past, it is very difficult first for a society to heal, but also to prevent further violations. And this is not only the case in Darfur, where for so many years we had also uh, the International Criminal Court trying to take those responsible to justice. It's actually true for most of the other um, conflict context, if you cannot make the perpetrators in a conflict 
accountable for what they have been doing, then you will not prevent further atrocities. I mean, you could speak about Myanmar there, for example, but you could take all the other contexts as well. And then it is also very difficult for a society to heal and build a prosperous future. So this is also a long-standing engagement of my country um, for the International Criminal Court, but also for all other forms of investigation into human rights violations, into atrocity crimes. And in fact, we have even an, a current initiative with regard to countries on the Security Council. So we developed a code of conduct that countries, when they are sitting on the Security Council or permanent members, should never vote against the resolution if this resolution can prevent atrocity crimes from happening. And we are currently approaching 130 countries having signed that code of conduct. So we are now at the two thirds majority of member states of the United Nations, including two permanent members, having signed that code of conduct. And I think that's really where the Security Council has to become better, holding those accountable of atrocity kind, crimes and making sure that this is prevented um, to happen in the future. We'll be right back. Are you looking for a talk show featuring leading global voices? Do you want to learn more about how international issues directly affect people locally? Global Connections Television presents the insights of global influencers at no cost to viewers and programmers. GCTV is independently produced and reaches more than 70 million potential viewers worldwide each week. The show covers everything from human rights to climate change, from peace and security to empowering women and girls. It features guests such as Dr. Jane Goodall, former UN High Commissioner for Human Rights Mary Robinson, and Peter Yarrow of Peter, Paul, and Mary. The show also hosts expert voices from the private sector, academia, and labor and environmental movements. GCTV is available to public television media outlets, universities, and service clubs for distribution. To watch the show or find out more, click the link in our episode description. Now, back to the show. When I think Switzerland, I think neutrality, secrecy, and multi-ethnicity. Switzerland has been so neutral it stayed passive when its neighbor, Germany, tried to take over the world. But Ambassador Beriswell says Switzerland values upholding international human rights laws over and above its famed neutrality. Is it, is it correct to say that um, Switzerland is taking more, more stands uh, either or not on issues? No, I think we cannot say that. And I'm really grateful that you give me the opportunity to uh, explain a little bit what it is all about when we speak about Swiss neutrality or other forms of neutrality. Now, if you look at the concept um, with a closer look, uh, there is a legal part of neutrality, which is based on the Hague Conventions. And the Hague Conventions say that you have to uh, treat two conflict uh, parties exactly in the same way. And uh, Switzerland has adopted that always and is doing that also uh, in the current context within a war context. 
when then um, we speak about violations of international law, of human rights law, Switzerland has never been indifferent. We have always been speaking up in many, many other contexts of the world. So that is not something new. Ambassador Barisol says a country's respect for international law is why it joined the EU to sanction Russia. So maybe Swiss neutrality might not come to play in resolving the Russia-Ukraine war. I think what surprised people a year ago after this terrible war started, and that's where we had most often the, the opportunity to explain neutrality, is that we took over, that we followed the EU sanctions. Since the end of the Cold War, Switzerland um, for nearly 30 years has been uh, following EU sanctions whenever it came to a flagrant violation of international law. So neutrality um, for a state does not mean that you do not take position. Neutrality in our case, and it has been a long, long tradition for hundreds of years, neutrality means that you are always basing your positions on international law and international humanitarian law. The sanctions imposed on Russia has made it hard for the country's grain and fertilizer to enter into the global market. I mean, Pass Blue did a story on how um, just 20,000 tons of Russian fertilizer stock in Europe um, just got to Malawi, and that's out of 260,000. And it seems like Russia was forced to sell that fertilizer, to donate that fertilizer to charity, rather, um, because it couldn't get into the market because the European countries involved were not allowing it. Insurance companies were not covering the flow of those fertilizers. Uh, is there a case for the deal to be restructured in such a way that all countries benefit because it benefits the world at the end of the day if Russian fertilizer flows freely in the market? And the countries that have sanctioned Russia, including, like you said, Switzerland, see food and agricultural products are not under that sanction. Listen, this is again, this is. Um an agreement which the UN has with other countries, with Russia, but also other countries in between themselves. I cannot express myself nor as Security Council incoming president, nor as uh, the Swiss ambassador here on the details, the, the technical ones, which are implemented and which are not implemented. So uh, you must understand that um, this is something which um, which is also quite technical. So I think this is really on the UN to make sure that the deal can be implemented. And I think they are working hard on that. Now the Switzerland has decided to join the highest decision-making body in the world. We asked its first president how she feels being the first person to do so. Can you share with us your feeling about being the first Security Council president from Switzerland? Um, how does how does this feel? Listen, um, I'm not even sure it feels. I mean, I I feel the the somehow historic moment, but it's not my moment. It's the moment of um, team here, which is working really hard, and I think the feeling is that of uh, joy that we can have that honor of um, working for the international community, show our solidarity in a really difficult time to be a strong voice also for international law. Um, so I think we feel joy that we can have that honor, but we of, of course are also very conscious 
of how difficult this is going to be in such a busy month and with so many um, larger political questions and geopolitical tensions going on. And that's how this episode ends. We asked Ambassador Pascal Beriswell, the first Swiss president of the Security Council, about life in New York, the Black Sea Grain Deal, Swiss neutrality, and developments in Sudan. This episode was presented by Damilola Banjo and Kelechuku Ogu. Kelechuku Ogu was the producer. Music was by Poddington Bear, Chris Martin, and Jeff Harvey. Alison Lecce was the fact checker, and Dulce Leinbach is the editor. This episode has been made possible with support from the Carnegie Corporation of New York, Open Society Foundation, and you, our generous readers. If you liked this episode, please share it with all your friends. Tag us on Twitter at Pass Underline Blue and rate us on iTunes. Thank you.